through the water. Wait a little bit deeper. Drop your feet in the water of this bottle. Step into the water. Wait a little bit deeper. Unjoined angels singing praises to the Lamb of God. Time we the people stand up for what is right. It's time we squared our shoulders back and raise our swords to fight. For the Bible is my weapon and the spirit is my shield. The church needs more with members to be workers in the field. Into the water, lay out a little bit deeper. Wrap your feet in the water of this bottle. Step into the water, lay out a little bit deeper. I'm joining the singing praises to the Lamb of God. Last. Love first and judge last. 
We spent the past couple weeks trying to clean out our fridges, those bad habits, our sins, our hurtful feelings, and even some people. We are reminded that the enemy uses guilt to, to pull us into bondage and to keep us there, preventing us from living that abundant life that God promises us. But even more so, to keep us from witnessing our faith to people in the community. We also learn the difference between condemnation and conviction. Our sins, or our flesh, are condemned, but our spirits are not condemned. Our spirits are convicted by the Holy Spirit to identify our sins or any messy areas in our lives so we can repent and turn from them. We remember Paul's words in Romans 7, 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So he said that even Paul, the great apostle, suffered sins of the flesh. I don't believe it's possible to completely overcome all sin in the flesh. But we know that Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to help us, to, to show us the right way through conviction. And that word conviction, you know, it sounds like a bad word because we watch TV and so-and-so was convicted and went to jail and so-and-so, conviction, conviction. But, but in Christ's word, in God's word, in, in the Bible, the word conviction is something healthy for Christians. Part of that sanctification process to help us to become more Christ-like if we respond to it. So as I was praying over this week's message, I was, I was led back to that original message of guilt. A scenario came to mind to help me understand the power of guilt, and I hope it helps you today. I imagine an athlete training for endurance and strength. One of the tools they use today is called a tether. They'll take a tether, they've been using it for quite a while, not when I was a kid, but they'll take a tether and they'll put it back on the back of the uh, male or female trainer. They attach it to the back, and it provides resistance. As they're working out, as they're running, that tether holds them back. It builds up strength, it builds up endurance. But imagine now if that runner never removed that tether, ever. He or she would be held back from doing their best, wouldn't they? They'd have a hard time competing against other opponents. They might win once in a while, but the odds would surely be against them. So what if we imagine that tether being a tether of guilt, or a tether of sin, or, or a tether of bad habits? If we don't take that tether off, it's going to hold us back. It'll never allow us to reach our full potential. We would have a hard time competing with the world, let alone fighting the enemy. But praise God, that tether was cut when Jesus Christ went to the cross for each and every one of us. So unless we choose to put that tether back on, there's no reason to be held back by guilt, be held back by sin, the things that we've done. It would be as silly as taking our sins to the altar and then picking them back up when we leave. We've been set free from that tether of guilt and sin. And any other tool that the enemy uses to restrict us from reaching our full potential. So we're going to make a deal this morning. We're going to admit, we're going to, we're going to confess that we've cleaned out our fridges, that's done, and we've removed those tethers that were attached to us when we came in here. So now we are free. There's freedom in Christ. Amen? So this morning we're free. 
The fridges are clean. The tether's been removed. We proclaim together we're forgiven for our sins and we're made righteous through the works of Christ. So there we are. We're all empty vessels. What do we do next? Glad you asked. Now that the weight's been removed from our lives, the Christian things to do would be reach, to reach out to other people and help them remove their tethers, to help them ease their burdens in this crazy world. Almost every non-believer I know holds at least one verse out of the Bible. You know what it is? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Matthew 7, 17. Almost every non-Christian that I know has said that to me or to somebody I know at one time in their life. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Now that, that's partially true. But it's used more to tell people to mind your own business about what I'm doing. Or to tell people, they're promoting it, that if it feels good, do it mentality. Mind your own business. See, the world warns us it's not politically or spiritually correct to judge. They try and coerce us into accepting all people regardless of their views, regardless of their lifestyle. They demand we accept everyone just as they are, regardless of their behavior and the results have been devastating. Parents are afraid to discipline their own children for fear of being arrested, so their hurtful behavior is ignored and those kids have grown up to be disobedient. We witness vandalism being tolerated on a daily basis. Turn on the TV. I suggest you don't, but if you wanted to see if I'm telling the truth. Do five minutes of the news and you'll see people coming in with garbage bags, filling them up and walking right past the security guard because they're told to leave them alone. We witness the burning of cities. We witness the looting of stores while being told not only that it was peaceful, but that we should expect that to happen. It's okay. We now have safe havens for drug addicts within most major cities. There's not a plan to treat them. Don't you dare judge them. Let them be who they are. Our daughter and grandson just returned from a week-long church mission in Los Angeles. I've been in my knees for a month as they prepared for this trip because I didn't want them to go. The first thing they were told when they were in brief was to wear hard-soled shoes so that the needles on the sidewalk didn't penetrate and go into their feet. The first thing they were told. They witnessed an addict inserting heroin between their toes. They witnessed another addict actually die right in front of them and then come back to life after six doses of Narcan were administered. My daughter could share hundreds of stories, but I just want to point out that these cities are just accepting the drug use. They're not treating people. They're not keeping the community safe. But don't you dare judge them. Don't you dare judge those people. And don't you dare judge the government officials who enable these kinds of behavior. See, when, when Jesus said not to judge others, he didn't mean we can't identify sin for what it is based on God's definition of sin, not the world's. It's called discernment. I would hope that people living in those cities would discern that the area is not only unsafe with them, but it's unsafe for their children. 
That's not judging brothers and sisters. That's discernment. And there's a big difference between judgment and discernment. R.C. Sproul said, when the Bible tells us not to be judgmental, it means we're not to have a spirit of condemnation towards fallen people. We're to love them. We're to be, amen, amen. We're to be concerned for them. We're called to pray for them, all of that. But he said we're still supposed to have discernment, to be able to distinguish between what is righteous and what is unrighteous in God's eyes, not the world. So while we should never condemn, condemn anyone, believers, believers need to refrain from judging non-believers. Believers should refrain from judging non-believers. We're called to plant seeds. We're called to set the example of a holy Christian life in our walk. And then we leave it alone. We let the Holy Spirit convict them. Not our job, man. Right? The Holy Spirit will convict our hearts when it's time. Just like he did for each and every one of us. Not our job to convict them. That being said, here comes a part in my message where I may ruffle some feathers. As Christians, we're actually called to judge other Christians. Oh, what? True story. We're called to judge other Christians in the sense of comparing their conduct, our conduct, to God's view of right and wrong. To God's view of right and wrong. But there's a right way and there's a wrong way. If you go back to Matthew 7, 17, judge not lest ye be judged. But we can't stop there. We can't just pick and choose one piece of scripture. We have to read the rest. If we continue with verses 2 through 5, Jesus tells the rest of the story. For the judge, okay, let's judge not lest ye be judged. For the judgment you give will be the judgment you receive. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The neighbor here means fellow Christians, not the unsaved. We're not to judge the unsaved. Jesus said it all comes back to cleaning out our own fridges before we help others clean out theirs. And please note, this scripture again is for fellow believers. Jesus said, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. See, he requires us to apply his teaching to our own lives first. Then, then we can help other believers. When God reveals his truth to us, whether it's in scripture or through the spirit or any other means, our first response as believers should be, how does this apply to me? You get a revelation, you read a scripture verse, you go, how does this apply to me? It should never be, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell so-and-so where they're making mistakes in their life. You follow me? You wouldn't believe how many people have come up after my message and said, whoo, I wish so-and-so was here. He really needed to hear that. Really? 
As the old farmers used to say, James, we need to mend our own fences first. Amen? We need to mend our own fences first. Now, a word of caution here, please. I would not suggest any of us try to remove that speck from a neighbor's or a brother or sister's eye unless you've created a very close personal relationship first. Trust and respect must be established before we even dare to privately address any sinful behavior from somebody else. Otherwise it comes out across as us being haughty or, or we're better than you are. That's why it's, right, ready, write this down. That's why it's so important to attend church every Sunday. That's why it's so important to attend men's groups and women's groups and Bible studies and devotionals. Devotions, weekly devotions. Those are the places we get to build our relationships. We get to learn each other because, see, there'll be an attraction. God will put one or two people maybe in that group and you'll get that warm, comfortable feeling like you can trust them. And it, you won't get that feeling for everybody. But that's what those are designed for. For us to learn each other. For us to love each other. For us to build that trust up. I didn't know Glenn until we got in a golf cart. Glenn, how close did we become in that golf cart? Spending time over and over and over. Very close. Very close, and we shared some very intimate stuff, but it wasn't the first time in the golf cart. Hey, dude, I'm a mess. <laughs> we participate together to learn God's Word, of course, but we participate to build personal relationships, just like we do with Jesus Christ. As we develop those relationships, we're more, we're more apt to share areas in our life that, that we really need accountability for. We all need accountability, isn't that? Is that not the problem of the world today? Every conversation I have with our men, it always comes back to there's no accountability. Well, we, as Christians, we need accountability too. And sometimes we rely on brothers and sisters to supply that. James 5.16 commands us to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Now, we don't confess our sins to a man or woman to have those sins forgiven, like some other religions do. We pray to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Now, James here is instructing believers who are struggling with sin to seek faithful and trusted brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk beside them, who will intercede in the battle. He's not suggesting we just carelessly confess our sins to just anyone, but to mature believers, spiritually mature, who will provide accountability, encouragement, and prayer support. That is our calling. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 15 tells those in the church, that's us, therefore encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Are you ready? And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to admonish the idlers, meaning lazy people, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, 
and be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. So we're called to admonish, we're called to encourage and help each other, but we're also called to be patient with each other. And again, I caution you, that doesn't give us a license to complain, judge, and criticize other people in our church. Amen? That's not what this is about. This is about building personal relationships to work together to make each one of our lives better. To help us to become more Christ-like in every step of this faith walk. A personal relationship must first be secured, followed up by prayer for discernment, and the right words to say. Many a good person, you know this, many a good person have been chased out of church because they've been attacked by people who still have logs in their own eyes. These personal relationships cannot be developed meeting here once a week on Sunday morning. Sometimes they take years to develop. Remember, trust takes a long time to develop, but mistrust can happen in mere seconds. Let me be so bold as to say, if you don't have a personal relationship with someone, then mind your own beeswax until you do create that personal relationship. It's none of your business until that happens. And if we find ourselves reacting because, you know, we're flesh, we're human, if we find ourselves being judgmental, or if we start to kind of be a little self-righteous, for somebody else's mistakes, we need to remember that God loves all of us, Jesus Christ died for all of us, and none of us have the right to throw the first stone. Amen? It'll kind of humble us, won't it? Put us back in our place. Who am I to judge anybody? In Philippians 2-3, Paul tells the church and us, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility. In humility, regard others as better than yourself. That was a tough one for me when I first entered the Christian life. To regard others better than yourselves. Humility means to be humble, absent of pride, absent of arrogance, absent of vanity. Galatians 6.1 instructs us this way. My brothers and sisters, if anyone had detected a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Not screaming, not condemnation, not throwing them out of the church. Gentleness. It's with humility and gentleness that we reach out to a brother and sister that's struggling with their Christian walk. We offer to walk alongside on equal footing in, in the eyes of the Lord. No one, no one is better than anyone else. Now, we're to treat them that way because it keeps us humble, you get me? But in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. So I'm not going to walk with you thinking, hey, let me just, I'm better than you, let me just walk along you, pull you along, drag you along through all your trials and tribulations. That's going to be a two-way street. That's the way we succeed. A few months ago, I responded to a fire call and I met a young mother who uh, professed to be a Christian, sort of kind of conversation. I said hello, she said hello, she didn't jump up and go, I'm a Christian. It took about 10, 15 minutes of conversation. We had a nice talk, and I asked her what church she attended. She said, oh, I, 
I don't go to church anymore. I, I worship from home. I read my Bible by myself, but I don't, I don't go to church. So, of course, I invited her to our church. And when I invited her to our service, guess what her response was? Nope, wasn't that. Close, though. <laughs> Quote, she said to me, are you sure they let me in there with all these tattoos and all these piercings? Are you sure they let me in there with all these tattoos and all these piercings? I'm guessing someone in her last church must have criticized her for the way she adorned her body. Of course, I, I assured her that you would all accept her. But she still remembers those so-called Christians who judged her on her appearance instead of on her heart. Obviously, she hasn't come to our church yet. Yet. But I'm still praying and believing that the Spirit is going to lead her to this congregation who loves first and judges last. In John 7, 24, Jesus tells us, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Right judgment. What does God's word say? The final component we need, of course, when we help a struggling brother and sister is love. Love. Ephesians 4, 15 tells us we must speak the truth in love. So if we're walking along beside somebody, we speak in love. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 1, 1 through 3, If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong, or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I, have nothing. I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And of course, when Jesus Christ was asked which commandment was the greatest, we hear his reply in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You shall love the God. The Lord. Don't love the Lord. You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest in first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You can't love someone without first developing a personal relationship. There's an old saying that says, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Anybody ever hear that? People don't care what you know until they know you care. We start by cleaning out our own fridges, followed up by making personal relationships with brothers and sisters inside these very walls. And then, and then, as Jesus said, and then with humility and gentleness and with love, we lock arms and we help each other defeat our enemies that tether us with sin and guilt. My prayer today is that we all seek and find a relationship so we don't do this walk all alone. If you would please turn this time to page 15.
Just a reminder, as you're following along, it'll look like I'm lost. Chances are pretty good I'm not. But our books are different. Yours are abbreviated, mine are not. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Blessed are you, our Alpha and our Omega, whose strong and loving arms encompass the universe. For with your eternal word and Holy Spirit, you are forever one God. Through your word, you created all things and called them good. And in you, we live and move and have our beings. When we fell into sin, you did not desert us. You made covenant with your people Israel and spoke through prophets and teachers. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, Holy are you and blessed is Jesus Christ, who called you Abba, <coughs> Father. As a mother tenderly gathers her children, you embrace that people as your own and fill them with a longing for a peace that would last and for a justice that would never fail. In Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus, who now reigns with you in glory, and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to the disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ is Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as a body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood. As the grain and grapes once dispersed in the fields are now united on this table in bread and wine, so may we and all your people be gathered from every time and place into the unity of your eternal household and feast at your table forever. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Table is set, just a few reminders. This is quiet time, this is reflection time, this is the time that you uh, pray. You can ask for forgiveness, you can just pray for uh, thankfulness, uh, whatever may be in your heart. Pray, just pray to the Holy Spirit, open yourselves up. The altar, of course, is open. Come and spend time, spend as long as you like. You will not hold us up, I promise you. Um, if you want time at the altar, come take it. 
If you need prayer for me, just pat me on the shoulder, throw something that won't hurt me, whatever it needs, and I'll come pray with you, over you, whatever you might need. Okay, this is, this is our communion with Christ's kind. Doesn't matter what religion you are, what faith you profess, it doesn't matter if you sinned right before you came in uh, into the church this morning, it doesn't matter if you're thinking bad thoughts right now, that's not what this is about. This is a time to come to Christ and turn that all over. Some of us remain tethered. This is a nice time, a great time, a fitting time to come and, and be reminded that Christ has already removed that tether, amen? So please, come to the altar and partake. The best way to burn fat and get shredded is not keto, paleo, it's not carnivore, it's not vegan, and it's definitely not curtain.